Well, as you can see from the, uh, the outline, we're starting a new series called Poured Out, Learning to Serve Like Jesus. We started off the fall with a series on prayer, and we're starting off the, the winter with a series on service. The two sort of dovetail together a little bit in my, in my thinking. But the word poured out is a great word to describe service because Jesus' service was described that way in Isaiah. He poured himself out on the cross. Prophetically, Isaiah talks about that. And then when Paul is serving and he's in prison, he says he's poured out uh, like a drink offering. And so we're using poured out as, as a way to think about service. Now, here's a cool thing about, about the idea about being poured out. In the Bible, if you pour yourself out in service, God pours back into you so that you have more to give. That's a promise that we see in numerous places. If I, if I commit to pour myself out in service, the God of the universe is going to pour back into me so that I have more to give. And I'm going to show how that works um, in, this, in this series. So this morning, we want to begin by looking at the example of Jesus, who is obviously the ultimate service and uh, servant and the, our ultimate example. And I want to I take you back to New York City. I want to take you back to the 72nd Street subway, and I want, I want you to just envision a near tragedy that took place. A 58-year-old man fell onto the northbound tracks of the subway. That's bad. It's really bad. Everybody's frozen and paralyzed, wondering what to do. They know a subway's coming. Everybody's looking, trying to see what like, who's going to solve this problem? Well, a 31-year-old dancer with the American Ballet Theater made a split-second decision. He jumped down, and he lifted the man up to the hands that were waiting to pick him up. There he is. His, his name is Gray Davis, and he is with the American Ballet Theater. He made a, a heroic decision to jump down to lift this guy up, they take the guy, and now you hear the subway coming down the tracks. And what he realized is, you know, that's a long way up from the tracks up to the platform. But he's a dancer. And so uh, using his best dance moves, he jumps up onto the platform, and the subway screams into the station. Wow. Pretty, pretty amazing. So next day, he went on with his with his show, and he was honored by the producer for, for what he did. What would you do if you were in that situation? You're in New York City or Washington, D.C., or London, or Paris, or Moscow, and somebody is pushed into the tracks and they're unconscious. What would you do? What would you do? <laughs> I mean, that's a tough question. It's a tough question. Um, what about in all of life, you see a need? What do you do? Do you stand frozen and think, somebody else is going to deal with that need? It's not, it's not, not me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get involved in that need. Let somebody else do it. Or do you say, you know what? I am a representative of the risen Christ who is a servant. And as his representative, I'm, I'm called to be a servant, so I'm going to 
move into this situation and serve. Some are as serious as a guy being pushed in the subway tracks. Some are as simple as a door needing to be opened up for somebody who is limping or on crutches. Your calling as a representative of the risen Christ is to function as, as a servant. So I'm, I'm going to show you what that looks like today by simply taking a look at the life of Christ, giving you a basic orientation to how he served, and looking at what it means for us individually and us as a church. So we'll start with the life of Christ. The Bible identifies five very powerful pictures of Jesus' pattern for service. And we're just going to dive right in. Picture number one is that Jesus serves by pouring himself out in the incarnation. And here are the wonderful verses that we find in Philippians chapter 2. Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. So I, I want us to do a thought experiment for a moment. I want you to envision Jesus in the hours before his incarnation. This is a thought experiment, okay? It's, I'm not saying it's theologically precisely accurate. It's a thought experiment. But imagine him the, the moments before his incarnation. He's seated on a throne. He's high and lofty and lifted up and resplendent. He's majestic. There are angels that are surrounding Jesus Christ. There are angelic hosts below him who are worshiping him. All of heaven focuses on the beauty of the Son of God. All of heaven realizes that the Son of God is beloved by the Father. And therefore, the Son of God is the object of the Father's great love. And, and he, is, he is amazing in how he looks. Amazing. As you gaze on the scene, you realize this is like the place of authority in the entire universe. You, you know, it, it makes the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. pale in comparison. It makes the United Nations in New York City pale in comparison. It makes the White House pale in comparison. I mean, this scene in heaven where Jesus is seated and worshipped is the place of authority in the universe and beyond. He is the greatest leader ever conceivable. All right, in our thought experiment, now imagine that Jesus departs the throne and he zooms down into this universe that he created, zooming 15 billion light years, zooming past galaxies and galaxy clusters, zooming down toward the Milky Way galaxy, zooming into our solar system, zooming down now into planet Earth, into the Middle East, into Israel, into Nazareth, into the womb of a 16-year-old girl, moving from from being big into being microscopically small. That's amazing. It's amazing. The one who occupies the seat of all power, not just becoming a human being, but becoming a microscopically small fetus in the womb of a 16-year-old girl from Nazareth who has no health insurance. It's amazing. It's amazing. Jesus' act of incarnation is the most... Is the most astonishing act of service 
imaginable. Here, here we are, human beings created by God. We're human beings who, as a race, fell and are in rebellion against God. And now our creator God has chosen not just to visit our planet, but to become incarnated as a tiny fetus in the womb of a young teenager. And then when Jesus is, is born and he grows up, he doesn't act as if he is some big shot entitled Hollywood actor or rock star or celebrity athlete. He acts still very humble. That's how he describes himself. I am humble and lowly of heart. That's the quality of service in Jesus. If you're going to be a servant, what it means is you can never outserve Jesus. You, you can never say, I've been, I've been serving, and I've been serving, and I've been serving, and nobody cares about me. I don't get any appreciation around here, and, and, and I, I deserve a little bit more now. Because that, that's never the experience that Jesus had. He served, and he served, and he served, and then he got crucified. And his disciples ran away, except for John, who was at the foot of the cross, but very far away. Service is, in Jesus, what begin with just the gift of his presence. I don't, I don't know how this worked in Jesus, but uh, how, do you, how do you be in the womb of Mary for nine months when you're the Son of God? I, I don't have a concept for how that works. Service for Jesus began as presence. That's how it begins for us, too. Uh, when, we when we go visit our grandkids, um, I've got to throttle back the RPMs of my life. And when we land the plane in Seattle and get in that car and drive up to Edmonds, Washington, I've got to throttle down the RPMs of my life. And when I talk to my grandkids, I can't talk as fast. When I walk with them, I can't walk as fast. When I teach them to cook, I can't zip around the kitchen like I do when I cook at home. I've got to slow down the RPMs of my life because service for little kids is about presence. That's what it was about Jesus. His service was service about presence. He poured himself out in the incarnation. Second picture is that Jesus pours himself out in service during, during his, his ministry. You know, we see a lot of examples of service in, in the Gospels, but the one that's most poignant is his service to the disciples in the upper room. And I want to do another thought experiment with you. I want you to envision Jerusalem on April 2nd, 33 AD. That's most likely when the Passover meal took place. Jerusalem is packed. People have been streaming into Jerusalem. Josephus says that perhaps there was many as a quarter of a million people on the Temple Mount that particular Passover. It was jam-packed. And the disciples were going to celebrate it in the upper room of a wealthy Jerusalem home. So they, they climb up what were probably external stairs to the upper room. When they get into the upper room, they see a table that's already been set. They see a cauldron of, of food that's steaming. They can smell the smells of the roasted lamb, and it, it smells good. There's flickering candles all throughout the room. It has all the ambiance of a of a holiday, just like you get certain things that remind you of Thanksgiving or remind you of Christmas. This reminded them of a wonderful 
holiday occasion. And the hungry disciples quickly take their places at the table. Seeing this, Jesus gets up from the table, he takes a towel, he wraps it around himself, and one by one he begins to wash the disciples' feet. This was a very, very humbling experience for the disciples. When he gets to Judas, he doesn't twist his ankle like this or yank his toe back. This is what, this is, this is for you, buddy. Doesn't do any of that. He is full of grace and truth. And Jesus is modeling sacrificial service. So he's pouring out the water. He's washing their feet. He's loving these these disciples who are bickering and arguing over who would be the greatest, who are intending to betray him, at least Judas is, and he's loving them, serving them. And then he gives an explanation. When he'd washed their feet and put, out, put on his outer garments <coughs> and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I have been your Lord and teacher, I have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. When Jesus says this, yes, he is saying literally wash each other's feet. He's saying that. But he's also saying, I've given you an example that you should serve just like this. Like how? Like even people who are intending to betray you, your enemies... They're a legitimate target for service. Even people who are bickering and fighting and don't get you, yes, they are a target for service. He's giving us a paradigm that we serve everybody, even people who don't like us, even people who misunderstand us, and especially those that we're close to. It's an example of of proactive, loving service. And the same is is true for us today. you know, we get, get impressed with all these great people. You know, you watch the Cowboys play the Rams last night, and you see it's L.A., you know, so you see all the, all the great people of the world, the movie stars and the athletes and the celebrities, and they have their entourage with them. We think, okay, they are the great people of the world until they die. And then... And then who do we ascribe greatness to after they're gone? Not those people, but the people who served. It's the Martin Luther King Juniors of this world that we ascribe greatness to. It's the Mother Teresas that we ascribe greatness to. It's the William Wilberforces that we ascribe greatness to. It's the people who... We don't even know, don't even know what their names are. You know, the unknown soldiers who we ascribe, the people who poured out themselves in sacrificial service. It's not the deceased rock stars. It's the people who sacrificially poured themselves out into service. That's where greatness lies. And Jesus, in his life, modeled modeled the greatness of service. Here's a, a third snapshot. And Jesus pours himself out in his substitutionary death. The Bible is very clear about this idea of pouring, this idea of pouring out. Psalm 22, 14 is a prophetic picture of Jesus. He says on the cross, prophetically, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. 
pouring himself out on the cross in sacrificial death. Matthew 26, 18. For this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He was talking about the juice, the wine of the communion, pouring the wine into the cup. He said, this picture is my blood being poured out uh, in sacrificial service for the forgiveness of sins. And then Isaiah 53, verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. This idea of being poured out is the idea of serving through his sacrificial death. So I, I want to obviously go back to Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Pouring out is an act of service. Pouring out is an act of sacrificial service. So I want you to do another thought experiment. I want you to imagine you're at the foot of the cross. I want you to imagine that you're scanning the crowds, doing a little people watching. You're scanning the crowds. You're looking at the picture, at the form of Jesus as he's suffering on the cross. And you're there to discern how Jesus is serving even as he's dying. And when you think about how he's serving, he serves by serving his persecutors. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, now, if I say, I forgive you, that's service. But look, if this is the Son of God dying on the cross for my sins, that statement is a legal statement. Father, forgive those evil men who are pounding nails into my wrists. That's service. And he's serving while he's dying on the cross. Serving the sufferers. Truly I say to you, he's saying this to the thief on the cross who's, who first is railing against Jesus, and then he has a change of heart. He says, truly I say to you, today you'll be with, with me in paradise. What's he, do, what's he doing? He's serving by comforting this man with an eternal perspective. And then he serves his mom. I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, but he says, uh, Mom, you see John over there? John, my disciple, I want you to live with him as if he were your son. And John, do you see my mom over there? I want you to take her in as if she were your mother. He's serving by dying on the cross for our sins, but he continues snapshots of service in the seven statements that he makes, that he makes on the cross. He's the quintessential the quintessential servant. If ever there was a paradigm for service, Jesus, Jesus was it. And that, that stands for us today. I mean, you know, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. You probably remember my friend Alistair Howie, chaplain in the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, decided that he would give his kidney to a man that he barely knew. Because in his prayer for the man, he sensed the Lord saying, why don't you give him your kidney? And he did it in an act of service, laid down his life. I keep on calling, calling Alistair to see how he's doing. He says, brother, he's, 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 he's a Brit. He says, brother, he says, it's been hard. It has been really hard. I am exhausted. And the doctors have told me that it may be a while before I get my energy back. 
He laid down his life for a friend. Not long ago, one of my adult children called Cindy. Um, she was in tears. She was exhausted. She's got five kids. Uh, Cindy could hear the kids playing in, in the background, but she had poured herself out for her, for her kids. And as I heard Cindy encourage her, my respect for my daughter just, just rose because my daughter was pouring herself out for children, one of whom was sick, another was going through a problem at school, another was going through a struggle with reading. She's pouring herself out, and she was utterly depleted. Well, what, why do you persevere in doing something like that? Because the example of Jesus, Jesus poured himself out for us on the cross as the quintessential servant. Here's a fourth snapshot. Jesus pours himself out in resurrection ministry. You know, if you look closely at the resurrection accounts, you realize that at least in the Bible, there are 10 accounts of Jesus appearing to his followers. And they're not evenly spaced. It's not like, okay, Jesus is going to show up any day now. It's been three days. Like, 10 times over 40 days, you know, roughly every three days or so. Uh, it's not the way it works. He shows up more at the beginning than he does at the end because he wants to train his disciples about how to live in his presence after he's gone. But one of the most intriguing, they're all intriguing, but one of the more intriguing events was when he, he went to Peter and he restored Peter. So, you know the story. They've been fishing all night on the Sea of Galilee, the entire night, as was the habit of a lot of fishermen in Galilee. And uh, as the sun begins to rise, they see a man on shore clothed in white. They kind of shield their eyes against the sun and, and peer, and they realize it's Jesus on the beach. And Peter is still racked with pain over his denials. Remember, he denied Christ three times, and and hadn't had a chance to really get connected with Jesus and talk about it. So he throws on his clothes, he plunges into the water, he thrashes to shore, and has some one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. And what does he find when he goes to shore? What he finds is that Jesus has prepared breakfast, prepared all beef sausage, scrambled eggs, nicely seasoned. No, it's way better than that. What Jesus had done was he had lit a fire supernaturally. I'd have, I'd have loved to do that in Boy Scouts when it was raining. Just go, guys, watch, check this out. Boom. I couldn't do that. He lit a fire supernaturally. Uh, apparently, he called a fish out of the water supernaturally. I'd love to see that as well. You know, did he come up to the water like this and go, come on, here, here, come on. Good fish, good fish. Thank you very much. You know, put it on the fire. I don't, or did it just fly out of the I, I have no idea. Jesus made some bread supernaturally. Uh, he pulls some logs perhaps into a circle. We don't have that in the Bible. But, but when everybody arrived, Jesus invited them to a fellowship meal. Um, I love to cook. I love it. And I love to serve my family when I cook. I've loved being able to tr train my grandchildren, mostly my granddaughters right now, on how to cook. I love it. It's, it's an act of service. This was an act of service to the disciples. I'm cooking them breakfast. 
ta practical, tangible service. But it, it's, it's also more than that because Jesus heals a broken man. Peter's broken. Peter's saying, I want to go back out and I want to fish. Maybe, it, maybe, maybe his way of saying, um, I don't know if I'm going to be doing this discipleship thing anymore because I don't know how, where I stand with Jesus. And so they got to the land. They saw charcoal fire in place. Jesus laid out with a fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus says, come and have breakfast. What a wonderful invitation. And then he restores Peter to his place as the, as the head of the apostles. He's serving in his resurrection ministry. Um, you know, we have, the, we have the opportunity to serve today in the same, same way by healing broken people. Healing them through grace, healing them through service, healing them through healing prayer. It's great. And then we have a, a, a final picture. Jesus pours out his life in ascension ministry. This is a verse that I've mentioned to you on a number of occasions. Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I, I love this verse. I hope you have this verse in your, in your mind as a way to think about what Jesus is doing right now. Because what, what this says is Jesus doesn't, it's not like he, it, he just prays for you. He always prays for you. And it's more than always praying. He lives to pray for you. And apparently his prayers to the Father are effective because he doesn't just save you. He saves you to the uttermost. This is like an over-the-top description of Jesus' constant intercessory prayers on your, on your behalf. This is part of Jesus' service. And you could say, well, um, okay, Jesus is serving me through prayer. That's great. I mean, prayer is kind of an easy way to serve. Well, you try praying for somebody for five minutes. It's not easy. Try praying for somebody 15 minutes. It's not easy. Try praying for somebody for an hour. It's not easy. What about constantly praying for somebody nonstop, 24-7, as long as they live? That's service. And that's how Jesus is serving you today. So we see Jesus serves in his incarnation, in his life, in his death, during his resurrection appearances, and from his place in heaven. His life is a life that's wrapped up in service. So what about our, what about our service? What about our service? Well, um, we are commanded to follow Jesus' lead. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so I send you. We're commanded to follow Jesus' leadership. So let's think about Jesus' leadership. <laughs> Jesus' impulse to serve flowed from his eternal love relationship with the Father and the Spirit. I say that because Jesus has been in a love relationship with the triune God for all eternity, and in that love relationship, the members of the Trinity serve each other. Father serving the Son, Son serving the Father, Father and Son serving the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit serving Father and Son. The character quality within the Trinity is service. And since service is tied to love within the Trinity, Jesus cannot not serve. That's, that's part of who he is. It's part of who he has been from all of eternity. He must serve in his expression for love. You and, I, you and I are very different. Our impulse to serve is not natural. 
It's cultivated. It's cultivated. You could argue that because we're made in the image of God, some aspects of service might come more naturally than others, but we're fallen human beings, and our impulse to serve is not natural. It's cultivated. So here's my, my, my proposal. The more we follow him, the more our unnatural impulse is going to become natural. And so we too can get to the place where we cannot not serve because we are tied in and connected to love within the Trinity. So Jesus' example becomes our example as, as well. So the main idea, really, of these five stories is that loving service in the body of Christ flows out of excellence in following Christ. If we want to serve well, we have to follow well. If we want to serve diligently, we have to be His disciples in, in actual, actual practice. Probably the best place we see this is Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Do the members of the Trinity do that? Members of the Trinity do that? Jesus, you know, submitting to the Father. Spirit submitting to the work of Jesus. Father submitting himself to the plan of the triune God. Uh, we, we, we follow along in that, in that example. And each of you, Paul says, look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Excellence in service flows out of excellence in following Christ. We're hearing some Christmas music there, there in the background somehow. That's, that's great. Um, so if you want a clear gauge about, about where people are, uh, how well a person is following Jesus, take a look at their service. Where are they serving? Are they serving in line with their gifts? Are they serving because there's a need and maybe they don't have the gifts? That's a good thing when that happens. Are they serving sacrificially? Are they willing to dig in and get their hands dirty in hard laborious suffering. You know, you can talk to talk about the Christian life, but if you want a crystal clear picture about how a person is doing spiritually, you take a look at their service. Let me tell you an interesting thing that, that happened um, within our, our marriage. Um, you know, when you're married to somebody, you know everything about them. You know the good, the not so good, and you know the bad. Marriage is a very close relationship. It is an uncomfortably close relationship. And when you're married, you can't, you, can't really, you can't really pull the wool over the eyes of your spouse because they're going to see you for, for who, who, you, who, who they really are. Two things deeply impacted my respect for my wife. When our boys were little, um, we decided that Caleb and Jared would do a paper route. And Cindy said, I'll be the point person on making it happen. Cindy was our children's ministry director at the time, and every Sunday morning she would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and she would run two paper routes, one in Colonial and one in Woodland Hills. And then she would come and she would uh, run the kids' ministry during two services. Well, today our boys are, are in, into their careers, and, and if... I've had this said to me by people who know my sons. 
your son has an amazing work ethic. How did that happen? Or my, my other son. Like, your, your son has an amazing work ethic. How did that happen? Well, when my boys answer that question, what my boys say, it was the paper route. Because they were unhappy campers many times in that paper route. Dad, I want to quit the paper route. I hate this. What are you doing making me work? I'm just a kid. <laughs> did I feel, did, what, did I waver in that moment? Yes, I wavered in that moment. And yet the boys point to that as being something that was transformative in terms of their work ethic. Especially when at age nine they would call, say, uh, Mr. Mr. Jones, um, I'm your paper boy and um, you're delinquent on your account. Can you please um, send a check? Uh, they didn't know enough to know that that's an intimidating thing to do. They just did it. Cindy was the servant that made that happen. Um, and th that has, that, that's a thing in our marriage that continues to drive me toward respect. Uh, another thing is that um, Cindy and I often meet with somebody in pain. And because she is our Celebrate Recovery Director and has a lot of experience in this, I will see Cindy gently treat somebody who is in pain. Now, she's grown in this over the past 15 years, but I was with Cindy some time ago. And I saw her deal with somebody with the skill of a surgeon and the kindness of a mother. And I saw how transformative this was in the moment, giving hope to somebody who had completely lost hope. Serving. So what I'm saying is that if you, if you want to see how somebody is following Christ, look at their service. Look at their service. It's a, it's a telltale sign of, of, how, of how they're doing. Um, and it goes back to this principle, loving service in the body of Christ flows out of excellence in following Christ. Okay, so how do we apply this at Grace Community Church? Well, let me give you some history. From 2017 to 2016, we majored big time on serving outside the city walls of our church. We had a group at Grace that read books on how to do this. We had book discussions about how to serve heroically around the cities. We developed plans, we built strategies, we rolled up our sleeves, and we got involved in the city. We did things like uh, renovating the teacher's lounge at the Mid-High, which is now Madison. Um, we sponsored the Mid-High back-to-school Bruin camp. We painted literally two-thirds of the Mid-High. In fact, we were there so often that the principal handed the master key to our team saying, wherever you want to paint next, just do it. We, had, we earned up so much uh, credibility that we then were asked to mentor at-risk kids at the mid-high. Um, we were grateful to have been able to do this. At the same time we served in the community, um, in various ways, uh, we had one group, Adopt City Workers, uh, the garbage collectors, the sanitary, I don't know what the politically correct term for that is right now. Uh, we have automatic things now these days in Bartlesville, but we, we served the city workers who were taking up our garbage, sometimes giving them cookies, sometimes giving them, um, sometimes giving them pizzas. 
Um, our, heart, uh, our group adopted a homeless man and worked with him for about six months. We provided refreshments to police officers. We generously used our building as an asset to the community. But we realized something a bit unsettling about two years ago. And the thing we realized was that the vision for serving outside the city walls of the church was so robust that we were finding it very hard to serve inside the church. And so I called half a dozen friends of mine who are pastors around the country, literally west coast to east coast, and I, I said, okay, here's, here's what we did, here's where we are, what's your experience? And every pastor I talked to who said, yes, we majored in service outside the walls of the church, told me the same thing. What they said was, we got to the point where the pendulum swung so far this way that we didn't have the ability to, to really properly staff things in the church that ministered to people who were coming as newcomers or people who were coming as, as members, and that was, that, was a, that was a big problem. And so uh, in this past year, we felt strongly committed to taking that pendulum and bringing it back into a place of balance. We still want to work very strongly within the community, and we're grateful, grateful for the partnerships we have within our community. We love partnering with Nehemiah House, Tim Jackson. We love that. Dr. Jackson's been a great encouragement to us and how we can make that happen. So is Orlando Parker and, uh, and the team that, that's there. We love being able to do that. But we also recognize that it's important for us to serve the ministries within the four walls of this church so that we can do what God has asked us to do. This brings me to the main idea behind the series. Here's what we're not going to do in this series on service. We're not going to guilt people into serving. We won't do that. We're not going to harangue people into volunteering. That's not our culture. That's not biblical. That never works. Not going to happen. But what, what I do hope to do, first of all, is lay out a biblical pattern for serving within the local church. And there is a, there is a strong set of scriptures that, that teach on this, and I want to explore those important passages. And a lot of times what I'm going to be doing is I'm not going to say, here are five reasons that you should do this, that, or the other thing. I'm not going to do that. What I do want to do is I want to say, here are some biblical patterns, and I want to show us how we can weave those into our church. And then we want to make our congregation aware of the serving opportunities that are available here. We have written and produced a ministry opportunities catalog that presents all the options for service at Grace. And... Um, Sometimes people will meet me after, I'll, I'll be at the door back there, and I'll shake their hand and say, okay, I want to get involved. Where do we get involved? Where do we get involved? Well, we've got a catalog now that's an evolving catalog that will tell you how to get involved. And then we'll do what Jesus did. This is such an important part of the process. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into the harvest field. We, we want our service to be based upon what God is doing inside the congregation to mobilize people into a place of service. I'm, I'm asking you, I'm asking us as a church family to pray that prayer. God, send out laborers into the harvest field of Grace Community Church so that we can do the things that you are calling us to do 
in the next season. Here's what you can expect in, in the weeks to come. We're going to have a stack of, of um, ca uh, catalogs on the serving table. Now, let me just say something about catalogs. How many of you got catalogs at Christmas time? Nobody got catalogs at Christmas time? Are you kidding me? So I, I kept thinking, you know, catalogs, very old school. Nobody's doing catalogs anymore. Catalogs on their way out. And I was very wrong. Because I'm reading a magazine article um, in a business uh, periodical. And they said, millennials, people who are under the age of 35. And millennials don't like to be called millennials, okay? So people under the age of 35 love catalogs. They love catalogs. And like L.L. Bean and Land's End and Eddie Bauer, and, and they're, they're all producing catalogs, restoration hardware, all producing catalogs because people under the age of 35 love to flip through catalogs because it's, you know, they, they get tired of being on the screen so much. Give me a catalog. Give me something tangible that I can take with me. We're going to have catalogs on that back place there. And I would, I would really appreciate it if you would look at the catalog and you would, you would just say, God, where are you calling me to serve at Grace Community Church? Pray about it before you commit to something and see if God specifically leads you toward, toward something. One of the things that I, I, I just want to, I'm going to say a lot in 2019 is that our ministry mission is wrapped up in one word, one word, transformation. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is a verse about transformation. Our ministry mission is based upon transformation. If you come to Grace Community Church, what we're hoping is that you will be transformed into somebody who is a more passionate follower, a more obedient follower of Christ. That's our hope. So when you get involved in service at Grace, the purpose is that you would encounter transformation and be a conduit of that transformation for others. And here's one final thing you can do this week. Serve someone secretly without them knowing about it. Serve them secretly and don't an hour later go, hey, did you notice that I, uh, I don't do that? Or even a week later. And if they don't notice it, don't go, well, forget about that. I'm not doing that anymore because they don't even notice it. Because service is, is not just directed to the recipient of your serving. It's, it's really done because you're a follower of Jesus and you want to do the kind of thing that he did. You know, Jesus on the cross didn't go, all right, Father, nobody's getting this. Um, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm zipping those nails out of my hands and feet. I'm going to change my, my body right now, and I'm going I'm to scare them while I'm out of here. Get out of here. He didn't, I mean, didn't do that. He served, even as people didn't get it. You serve somebody secretly, even if they don't get it, knowing that Jesus sees and rewards you for your service. Let's stand for our closing prayer.